If you brought a copy of Scripture with you, you can find Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, as we conclude our time in Philippians this year. We'll pick it up again in 2019, Lord willing. But we will conclude with the second chapter uh, today. Get into, the, our, um, get into Christmas in earnest, actually, tonight with the children's uh, program. And then beyond, as has already been announced Speaking of which, I just uh, got off the phone. I texted my daughter. We have a couple of our kids are in other, some of our other church plants. And, and so my wife took off for one of the church plants to see some of our grandkids sing in their children's program. And another one of our grandkids uh, was in her very first program in our third church plant. She's just two years old, but I'm, I'm sure she'd just be darling up there during the, uh, you know, during the away in the manger scene. So I texted her, I said, I, I want a pic and I want a video. And she got right back with me, that's just like my daughter, and sent it to me right away. And, and it says, didn't work, Dad. She cried and ran off the platform. <laughs> she goes, maybe next year. That's part of the problem sometimes for us who claim to know Jesus. We, instead of being faithful and being soldiers on the front line, we, we cry and run off the platform. But God has called us to be on the front lines, dependable, expendable, and commendable. And that was the man we're talking about today. I'll get to him in just a moment. Billy Sunday was an evangelist in the early 19th, actually 20th century, and uh, he preached all around the country, but he had a philosophy in his preaching. He said, I never preach to the intellectual giraffes, and I always leave a few cookies on the bottom shelf. That's his way of saying how I wanted to communicate the gospel. That's pretty good as we look at this individual today, Epaphroditus. How do you like that for a name? Anybody got a kid named Epaphroditus? I didn't think so. Five syllables. It sounds like he's got a, it sounds like a skin disease. Got a little Epaphroditus going on there in your arm, don't you? But he's a pretty cool guy. And the Apostle Paul has taken us to the top shelf, and now he's going to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. The top shelf in Philippians 2 is Jesus. This whole thing is about Jesus. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was God, did not did not consider equality of God with God something to be grasped. You don't have to grasp for something you already possess. Amen? And he was deity. He was God. And, he, and one of the greatest Christmas texts found anywhere in Scripture, but rarely preached at Christmas time. That Christ condescended. This is the incarnation, God becoming man. And all of this, if you'll recall, when we began this section of scriptures, this great, grandiose presentation of Jesus and his glory, and then divesting himself and becoming human, is so that you and I might be more like him. Remember that? That's the whole purpose. And so Paul sort of inspires us. He, he says to those of you who have a relationship with Jesus, he says, it's God who's working in you, verses 12 and 13, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You can be inspired by that. God's working in you. He's empowering you. And Jesus is your ultimate example. Amen? And yet, some are saying, some of you would probably say, yeah, I know he's, he's always the ultimate example because he's perfect, you know. 
can't you, you know, lower the bar a little bit for us here? And it's almost like God says, yeah, I'm going to do that today. It's almost like the, you know, like the little kid that runs into the bedroom at, during a thunderstorm. He dives into his parents' bed, and there he's all fearful. His dad says, what's wrong, honey? Well, I'm scared of the lightning. To which his dad says, well, honey, you know that you always have Jesus with you. And the little boy, little boy he goes, well, yeah, daddy, but right now I need somebody with skin on him. <laughs> well, Jesus did come with skin on, did he not? Amen. He did come down. He can relate to us. Hebrews 4, uh, 15 says, we don't have a high priest who cannot relate to us, but was tempted in all ways like us, yet without sin, right? But Paul, through the Holy Spirit, senses the need here to sort of put the, the cookies on the bottom shelf to be reachable, to be attainable, and he, and so that we can see what a life that pleases God and looks a lot like Jesus looks like. And that's not wrong, by the way, to have humans to follow. Paul said, follow me as I what? As I what? Follow Christ. So ultimately, he is our, our eyes are fixed on Jesus, not on people, because they do fail us. Even these individuals would fail. But he's given us two ordinary men at the very end of Philippians 2. After talking about Jesus, he gives us two very ordinary guys. They're not dynamic, but they have extraordinary commendations given to them. The first one we saw last week, and that's Timothy. Now, Timothy, is, he's not dynamic. In fact, he's fearful. Paul says, said to him, don't be fearful. Don't be timid. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Remember that? He was apparently sickly. Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. He must have had gut issues. And then he was also really not an evangelist. Apparently, that wasn't his gift, because Paul said just before he died, he said to Timothy, you do the work of an evangelist. As if to say, i got to prod you on a little bit. And yet the same Timothy was the very heart of Paul. We saw that last week, right? His proven character. I don't have anybody like him. That's how precious Timothy was to Paul. And now we have Epaphroditus. Five syllables. I know what I'm not going to say. Why would anybody call their kid Epaphroditus? I got in trouble. A little in-house joke there. But let's look at him real quick here, the, the final verses, beginning in verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed, strongest word in the text right there, because you heard that he was ill, indeed he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon the sorrow that I already have. I'm the more eager to send him, or send him back to you, therefore that you may rejoice in seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So Epaphroditus is actually a pagan name, comes from the Greek goddess Aphrodite, so it probably had a pagan upbringing, probably came to Christ under Paul's preaching, probably, probably, we don't know. Somehow or another he came to Christ, we're going to assume for the moment it was under Paul. We don't know a whole lot about him other than what we, we don't know anything about him except 
what we hear in the book of Philippians. The Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church have made him their saints, but God beat them to it. So there, Paul paints really an outstanding picture of the character of this man with a cascade of compliments. Now, his, his name is really a good, has a wonderful meaning. His name means charming. It could even be translated handsome. So you could, you know, call, ladies, you could call your husbands, he, you know, oh, forget it, don't even go there. But what I want you to see in this guy is that he was dependable, expendable, and commendable. And these are things that we can reach. These are things on the bottom shelf that the Holy Spirit has given Paul to write about here in this godly man, Epaphroditus. And the first thing I want you to note is he is dependable. I mean, is there anything more exasperating than an undependable person? Seriously. If you're an undependable, if I can't depend on you, you're an exasperation, not probably just to my life, but to a lot of people's lives. In fact, did you know the writer of Proverbs has a word for those of you who are unfaithful or undependable? Uh, the writer of Proverbs puts it like this. Confidence in an unfaithful or undependable man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot out of joint. Have you ever read that? That's a powerful word picture, isn't it? But just the opposite is true when you have somebody that's dependable. They're, they're, this, they're just a refreshment to your soul, aren't they? The person you know will be there for you. That was Epaphroditus. Now keep in mind, Paul's in prison. He's in a Roman prison. He's 800 miles away from Philippi. And I got news for you. They didn't just, the Romans didn't put you in prison and provide food and clothing and everything else like they do here. You were completely at the mercy of family and outside help to come in and give you the food and clothing. In fact, let me give you a, a sense of that. As Paul was in his final imprisonment in 2 Timothy, he says to Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak that I left uh, with Carpus at Troas, also the books and the parchments he still wanted to study, which is amazing to me. And do your best to come before what? Why? Because it's cold in the winter. That's why. So again, in the first century, if you're in prison, you were dependent on somebody that was dependable. That was Epaphroditus. And so, and by the way, he got the job done. We know that because the only other time we hear about Epaphroditus is at the end of this epistle. Here's what it says. I've received full payment and more, and I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. And then he likens those gifts as a, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's all. That's it. That's all we know about Epaphroditus, what I just read, and that. But in this, this, this cascade of compliments, did you see it all there in verse 25? He calls him a, a brother, a worker, a soldier, a messenger, and a minister. Five marks of dependability right there in one verse. Mark them down. Underline them if you want. He says, you're a brother. Now, that's that means from the same womb. That's literally what the word means. The only womb that Paul cared about was the one from which we are born again. So that's the, if you're going to be dependable, you have to have a relationship with the living God. You must be born again. And the great evangelist uh, George Whitfield went around preaching. He always preached that you must be born again in the words of John 3.3. 3. Until one day a woman came up to him and said, Mr. Whitfield, why do you always say you must be born again? He said, because woman, you must be born again. 
And this is the first mark of dependability right here, that you have been born out of the womb, uh, so to speak, of God into the family of God, and that was, of course, Epaphroditus. This speaks of the same origin. Paul and Epaphroditus have the same origin, but they also have the same task. So he calls them a fellow worker. We get our English word synergy from this. So remember what the Bible says? We're saved by grace, right? Ephesians 2, right? Not ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of work, so that we don't have anything to brag about. For we are his what? His poema, his workmanship, his work of art, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We have been called to be workers for God. And Paul sees Epaphroditus as his yoke, our fellow worker. I talked to one of our interns just the other day who's over evangelism, and I said, look, I'm spinning a bunch of plates as the lead guy, but let me tell you something. I'm with you. I'm a fellow worker. I'm a brother in arms with you. I want to say I might be your dad in the flesh, but I'm your brother in the spirit because we're out there blazing a trail together. I'm a fellow worker with him. That's what Paul is saying to Epaphroditus here. And then my favorite term, notice he calls him his fellow soldier. You see that there? Now, this is very powerful. Remember, we're talking first century stuff here. You got to picture in your mind what word pictures would be coming to the Philippians when they read this. The, to the Apostle Paul, the, the panoply, the armor of God that the Roman soldier would have, and remember Ephesians 6, put on the whole what? Armor of God, right? That wasn't just a cool metaphor, that was a spiritual reality. And he saw Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier with him. Those of us who serve the commander-in-chief in spiritual combat, we know that we're not dodging rubber balls on a playground. We're absorbing real bullets on a battleground. And it's a real battleground. Spiritual, but a battleground just the same. Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. He's... Uh, the word fellow here carries the idea we're, we're side by side, and really he's picturing the, the Roman phalanx. That would be when, when the Roman's army would come against you in war, they would have a phalanx, which would be every soldier in perfect line with their shields locked together. It was the terror of the first century to be faced by the Roman army. And Paul is using it positively. He's saying, you and I are like this, Epaphroditus. And he's telling that to the Philippians about a guy who gets sick in the efforts of trying to help him, which is really kind of almost humorous, but it's, it's Paul's way of saying he's, he's in it. And he got wounded in the, in the process. And I, got to, and I had to send him back. He got, he, the man got wounded. I, I had to drag him into the trench. I had to call for a medevac. And now I'm bringing him back, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but he's saying he deserves a hero's welcome. I talked to my brother just the other day who was a veteran of the Vietnam War. Any, any Vietnam vets in here? Raise your hand if you fought in Vietnam. Man, all the older guys go to the first service, I guess. There's a bunch of them there. But, I mean, if you know anything about the Vietnam War, which you should, it's that war of shame. And our soldiers came back in shame. And I asked my brother about that. He said, Pat, he said, we, he, said, he said, we were so ashamed. We were called all kinds of things, pigs, baby killers, all this. And we were so ashamed. He said, we were afraid to wear our uniforms. 
in public. Now, I'm thankful that the more recent wars have turned that around. Our wounded soldiers are coming back with greater honor, and I thank the Lord for that. But Paul's saying, honor them. And I would say to you that some of you, while you are soldiers, your fellow soldiers, you know, you're like my granddaughter who ran off the platform. You're so afraid to be out in the fray. I got a call just the other day from a brand new Christian. He got saved about two, three weeks ago. Just the other day. Calls me up. I thought, oh my, what's happening here? Because, you know, this guy comes from a tough background. He said, I, he goes, I need your help. I said, what's the problem? He said, he goes, he goes I, I've been talking to people about my faith and they're rejecting me. And I had a woman actually mock me for my faith in Jesus last night. Is that normal, he asked? And I took him to where we ended in, first, in Philippians 1, verse 29. It has been given unto you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake. Yeah, it's normal, I said. I tried to encourage him. I said, that's why you gotta be back in church because, because the hospital that Epaphroditus was sent to was, was the church in Philippi. That's where he would get his wounds redressed, spiritually speaking. That's where he would get refreshment and rejuvenation. And that's where you get it too, right? If you're out there on the front and you're battling it out for Jesus and you're not hiding and running off the stage, you know the senses of rejection. You know the pressures that come upon you. And you need the body of Christ to encourage you and regenerate you. Sort of, not regenerate, that happens when you trust Christ, but rejuvenate you rather. Now there's a couple other commendations here. He's called a messenger, which of course is exactly what he was. And he's called a minister. You see that word? That's a really cool word. It's, we get our word liturgy from this word. And, and the reason I point that out is because it's a, it, 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 it hearkens to the whole temple worship. And the idea here is that Epaphroditus didn't just minister to Paul. He wasn't intending, that was, he wasn't intended just to go there and, and give him physical needs. He, he, that was true. He needed to do that. But also meet Paul's spiritual needs, encourage him spiritually. And these are the marks of dependability. And I just took a big old pause as I was studying this this last week and got to thinking about, just thought through the people of Sailorville Church. And I, I solicited a few people on staff and a few others from family. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm taking out the family and staff from this list. But I said, hey, who comes to your mind? What Epaphroditus comes to your mind in the church? That person, that man, that woman, who will do anything, will drop whatever they're doing to come and help you at a moment's notice. Who comes to your mind? And man, did I get a list of people. Woody and Karen, Tom and Donna, Randy and Pam, Jan and Norm, Nate and Liz, Dwayne and Stephanie, Jens and Jamie, TJ and Sean, Dave and Lori, Dennis and Karen, Rob and Holly, Mike, Jen, Rob, Joe, Shannon, Jamie, Chris, Carissa, Tony, and Tyler. That was a scientific survey, by the way. I'm kidding. Because you're thinking, well, he didn't name me. Oh, get over yourself. But those of you mentioned, and those of you not mentioned, but worthy of that, listen, I know there are many of you. You are the dependable legion of Epaphroditus, and I, I salute you. I salute you in the name of Jesus Christ, because you are like your Savior. 
And like this son in the faith, Epaphroditus, you are dependable. Now, he was also expendable. We mentioned here a couple times he nearly died. He nearly died. I talked with Tom Grimes, one of our members, older gentlemen in our church. He, he had a horrific accident. He was in a horrific accident about 15 years ago. The guy on the other end was killed. He was jettisoned from his car. He was literally was thrown out on the pavement, laying there for dead. One of the very first things he remembered was the doctor saying to him, and I quote, chances are you could have died. To which Tom had the wherewithal to look at him and say, well, Doc, 100% of us die. Some of us just get to live a little longer. Now, poor Epaphroditus, he goes out, he's sent out, he's dispatched, literally, to meet a need, and he becomes a man in need. Can you see the stress in this passage? He's sent out by the Philippians to to minister to Paul's physical and spiritual needs. He ends up getting sick. In fact, he brought a large sum of money. We saw that in chapter 4, verse 18. He's got a bunch of money, but he probably had to spend some of that when he got sick, sending sending a dispatch to Paul, maybe send one back to Philippi. And by the way, this wasn't a time where you just pick up a cell phone and let them know how things are going. Despite the efficiency of Roman roads, it probably took weeks, if not months, to get that information. And this is why I I focused on the the word distressed. Do you see that in verse 26? Let me tell you something about this word distressed. This is what Epaphroditus was. He was sick, but he was sick in more ways than one. He was sick about what the Philippians were going through, worrying about him. He was sick about what Paul was going through, worried about him. And he was distressed. There's only one time this word ever occurs in the New Testament besides right here. And you want to know when it was? When Jesus was agonizing in the Garden of Gethsemane. You want to know what this dependable and now expendable man of God was going through? Just think about what Jesus was agonizing. I'm not saying he was, you know, sweating blood drops, but it was distress. And we've had times in our own church where we've sent out individuals on missions trips and they end up getting sick while they're there and everybody's distressed. We're distressed, they're distressed. They feel bad, it's a waste of money. Anyway, on with the text, Paul says in verse 27, God had mercy on him. I mean, we don't know what kind of bug this guy caught, but it was life-threatening. They didn't have penicillin in those days. And I love the human side that Paul shows in verse 28. In fact, I'm going to read it again to you. Verse 28. Paul writes, I'm more than eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and, and, and that I may be less anxious. Now, the guy who will tell us in chapter 4, be anxious for what? For nothing is anxious. Different word, by the way. This... This is not the same word as in chapter 4, but it is a word which means heaviness or sorrow. I was just thinking about that. The word means to be sorrowful. And I thought, remember this whole passage about how we can be like Jesus. Our man of sorrows produces men of sorrows. That's what this tells me. The man of sorrows produces men of sorrows. Paul and Epaphroditus were men of sorrow. 
going through what they did. So, oh, by the way, please notice that at a time when you might think Paul's going to demonstrate his power to heal, there's not even a hint that he tried. I mean, you read the record of the book of Acts, and Paul's, there's a lot of people that get healed by Paul. They're bringing aprons and snot rags to him. Seriously, that's what it says. They're touching Paul. It's healing people. And not a hint of it here. Epaphroditus would get better by the mercy of God, but apparently not supernaturally, not in the miraculous sense of the word. And why do I bring it up? Because of this. One of the greatest, highest honors of my life as a pastor has been to observe men and women who face, endure, and yes, succumb to the sin-cursed world that we live in, to various diseases and cancers and whatnot. I stood beside a woman that I ministered with for over a decade some time back. She was in her 50s and she was dying of cancer. And I could tell it was just days, if not hours, before she would go to glory. And I looked at her and I said, is there anything, dear, you would want me to pray for? And she still had her faculties about her and she looked at me and she was so gaunt and she said, pray that I'll be a good testimony to the end. I thought, this woman that was dependable in life is expendable in death and would glorify God. Listen, all of us pray, do we not? In times of sickness and struggle, Some of us enjoy miraculous deliverances from hardships. But most of us are called to endure faithfully. All of us can glorify God, God, and we must glorify God, right? Because we're expendable. Whether you want to admit it or not, you're expendable. Some of you are so old, you got one foot in the grave and the other on a banana peel, you're expendable. And you know it. It's the young ones. You think you're indestructible. And you are not. If there's a God in heaven who has the day of your departure from this earth existing, and he does, it could be tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring forth, amen? We have to have this expendable element about us. Jim Elliott had it. The great missionary that was martyred wrote when he was 26 years old in his journal, I do not desire a long life, but a full one like yours, Lord Jesus. That's what he wrote, and he died two years later to a spear. Dependable, expendable, and commendable. Now, some in Philippi might have thought, Jeez, what a, what a waste of money. The guy, we send the guy 800 miles away, he gets sick on us. Paul never thought that way about him. In fact, look at verse 29. He says, so receive him in the Lord. That is, take him back with joy and honor such men. Have you ever read that? As long as you're not deifying them, you know, making them like a little god or an idol, It's okay to honor men and women of God who have served Jesus faithfully. This guy had risked his life. He'd gotten sick. 
And, and by the way, he, it wasn't like he was entering a killing zone. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't traveling in the place where murderers were and cannibals. Nothing like that at all. He got sick on the way. That's it. Nothing dramatic. And yet Paul categorizes him with those whose efforts are more heroic. No, he's not in the hall of you know, faith and in Hebrews 11, but he could be. Listen, there's no book of Epaphroditus. He didn't start a church. No tales of heroic deeds. And though he nearly died, he didn't die. He didn't become a martyr. And in all probability, he, we know he got back to Philippi. He probably just served faithfully in obscurity. Are you okay with that? I'm talking about in your life, are you okay with that? Can you relate to that? Some, some here can genuinely relate to that. You can relate to Epaphroditus. You've been sick nigh unto death. Arlen Thorson nearly died in the service of the Lord. Lori Tashner nearly died in the service of the Lord. Kevin Thomas nearly died in the service of the Lord. As Paul said, nearly died for the work of Christ. But they, got, they came back, God had mercy on them, and what are they doing? They're still serving him. Amy Blevins is in the fight of her life right now. We pray God has mercy on her, and if he does have mercy on her, what's she going to do? What's she going to do when she, has, when she experiences that mercy? She's going to be right back up here singing to the glory of God. Amen? Because she's a servant, dependable, although expendable like the rest of us, and thus commendable. And then there's a guy who's not around here anymore and hasn't been for a long time. I sang to him the other day. Oh, not just me. Whew. We caroled, a bunch of us together. We went to his house. Joe Hayes. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Joe Hayes was the pastor of Sailorville Baptist Church from 1977 to 1986. And he was my pastor when I was a student in Bible college. We sang to him. He's not that old. He's just in his 70s, but... The ravages of Parkinson's are just destroying his body. And we sang to him, and his wife was in tears. Knowing what I was going to preach, I said, Joe, would you come to Sailorville Church this week? I'd like to honor you. This man invested in my life when I was a student. Spoke truth to me, counseled me, directed me, corrected me, theologically, helped me in my ability to exposit the Bible. I owe a ton of gratitude to this man. And I saw him in a poorer condition. He said, Pat, I, I want to. I want to come. My spirit is up, but my body is down. I haven't been to church in a long time. So what was I supposed to do in that moment? I honored him. I thanked God for him. I blessed the Lord and thanked him personally for what he had meant in my life as one that was dependable, now expendable, and certainly commendable. You want to know who my heroes are? 
The psalmist put it best. The godly people in the land, they're my true heroes. Those are the ones I take pleasure in. Say, man, isn't it Christmas time? Can't you preach a message about Jesus? Okay, let's end with Jesus. Because this whole passage is about Jesus. Remember, Paul's put a couple of characters on the bottom shelf so that we could get our hands on what it looks like to be a humble servant of God, like Timothy and Epaphroditus. But how about Jesus? The text tells us in verses 6 through 8 that being God, he became human and became obedient unto death. Obedient. That's dependable. And if you're obedient, you have to be obedient to somebody. And of course, he was obedient to his heavenly father, right? Dependable. Obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's expendable. I know expendable seems like you throw it away, but that's not what I mean. In fact, there's, a, there's another definition for something that's expendable is, is, is that which sacrifices itself for the cause of the operation. Well, there you go. He was our sacrifice, right? Jesus Christ, I commend him to you as dependable, expendable, and commendable. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, right? And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is, say it, he's Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you know him? I commend him to you. The commendable one, I commend to you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And that's exactly what some of you need to do this morning. You can't even think about being dependable, much less expendable, without having received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior who died and rose again for you. But if you have, let's look to these guys on the bottom shelf. Reach out and become the faithful, dependable ones that God has called us to be. Because after all, when you die and you see Jesus, what do you want to hear? But well done, my good and dependable servant. God, thank you for our time in your word, for the story of Jesus, and for these tremendous examples Ordinary, but tremendous, just the same. Thank you for the life of Epaphroditus. Look forward to meeting that guy someday, Lord. Thank you for giving him as a great example to us of living a faithful life, dependable, a life always realizing that death is near, expendable, and we wait for the commendation that always comes from you. And to hear that, well done, good and faithful or dependable servant. Raise up a mighty group of soldiers, Lord, walking in lockstep for your glory from this group and this room. In this hour, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.